Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. It is good to be back home with you. Uh, Teresa and I had a wonderful trip visiting Dave and Neil and the family, and we enjoyed our granddaughters and particularly you know, held little baby Audrey as much as we could. And so thank you very much for allowing us to have that time away and spend you know, time with family. Uh, the work there that you're supporting as a congregation is going well. Uh, it is a co-working relationship. You know, another young man uh, is working with David and David with him. And all seems to be going very well. And they are making contacts and having various studies you know, with others in the community. And so he appreciates very much you know, your support to him, not only financially, but also spiritually and the connection that he has with all of you in God's family. Please bear with me, as you can tell, you know, my voice is a little bit froggy today, and so uh, you know, I'm sorry about that, uh, and uh, we will get through this lesson as best as we can. The Bible stories, all those wonderful, beautiful, amazing stories of the Bible, are factual, historical accounts. They are real people experiencing real events under the oversight of the one true living God. The books of the Bible are not simply records of men telling us about what they witnessed and what their viewpoint is. That's not what the Bible is about. Yes, God used holy men as he directed them by the Holy Spirit to reveal his message, to reveal his plan, to reveal his will. But the biblical account, biblical history, is our creator's account. It is our creator's account of what happened as witnessed by Jehovah God. So therefore, just as we've already read in Joshua chapter 8, when men were faithful to God, when they were faithful to Jehovah, they adhered to God's instructions. When they were faithful to God, they adhered, they kept, they obeyed God's commandments. And so Joshua and the people were diligent in the reading of what God's servant Moses had written and commanded, as we have already noted in Joshua chapter 8. Now think about this. We read through that incident, and I think we kind of just, you know, it's just you know, some simple little thing. But that was a huge undertaking. You sit down and think about what transpired. It was a huge undertaking for this to be done in accordance with God's will and God's plan. For example, they had to build an altar out of unhewn stones. So you had to find the rocks, you know, and you had to build this altar of unhewn stones, uncut stones, and they wrote all of the law on those stones. So they had to take the time not only to gather the stones, they inscribed on the stones all the words of the law of Moses. And then it says they offered sacrifices. They did burnt offerings. They did peace offerings. We're not told how many, but it's plural. It wasn't just one burnt offering. It wasn't just one peace offering. So on top of building the altar and scribing the law on those stones, then they began all the offerings. 
And then you had to divide and place the entire nation of Israel. You had to place them on those two mountains or at the foot of those two mountains. And so you have the division, the placement of the nation, and that included women and small children and strangers that lived among them. And it is then, after they did all of that, then Joshua read the law, the entire law that Moses wrote. When men were faithful to God, when men were obedient to God, they adhered to God's instructions. They followed God's words. Deep respect for God, deep respect for God's words grows out of sound understanding, sound understanding of who God is. Not only an understanding of who God is, but also an understanding of what he is able to do because of what he has done. That's why these Bible stories are so important for us to start learning from childhood like Timothy did. As his grandmother and mother taught him the word of the Lord. Because those Bible stories are factual, historical events that reveal to us who God is, what he's able to do, and what he can still do for you. Our God, in Joshua chapter 10, if you will turn there, we're going to read several verses, as you see on the PowerPoint. We're going to read the first 15 verses of Joshua chapter 10. And what we have here, our God, our Father, utilized creation to accomplish His purpose. He utilized creation to accomplish His plan. And so here is creation responding to God's directives. And in turn then, Jehovah gave the nation Israel a great victory. So starting there in Joshua chapter 10, verse 1, it reads from the New American Standard Version, Now it came about when Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai, and he had utterly destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon, had made peace with Israel and were within their land that he feared greatly. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Jephiah, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me. Let us attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. So the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up. They with all their armies 
encamped by Gibeon and fought against it. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and, and Makedah. And as they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There are more who died from the hailstones than those whom the son of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O son, stand still at Gibeon. And O moon, in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jassar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of, of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp to Gilgal. As you begin with this story here in Joshua chapter 10, what we see very quickly is news about Israel's victories instilled fear. News about Israel's victories in the days of, of Joshua always instilled fear among everyone who lived in Canaan. Now that fear was not simply because the army of Israel was a force to reckon with. That is not the only reason they were afraid of Israel. The greater reason that they're afraid is how those defeats and how those victories came to be. These are not just ordinary battles each time. Man against man just simply with a sword. No, Israel had God behind them. Israel had God in front of them. So we have here five Amorite kings who formed this alliance. And so another great battle occurred in what? Well, in which God intervened. That's what, that's what this story is about. It's not just about what Joshua did. It's, just, it's about, okay, Israel won another battle. It is about how God intervened for his people. 
See, we need to remember the stories of the Bible so we can remember who our God is. Not just on the good days, but on the bad times. We need to remember who our God is and who we serve and why we serve Him and why we need to be faithful to Him till our last breath. And so we have here God intervening in which what God does, God's God's hands gave a mighty opposing force. You have five armies. You have five armies here who are fighting against the other side. And so God intervenes and God gives this mighty force into the hands of Joshua and the army of Israel. And so in chapter 10, verse 8, we're told that God, first of all, he says, I'm giving it to you. Just so you know, Joshua, when you win this battle, from the start, I want you to realize I'm the one who's giving you this victory. You're not winning it. I'm the one who's giving it. And so God promised Joshua's victory over this large alliance, this large force. Can I help but think of that well-known statement in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, when the question is asked by the Spirit through Paul's writing, if God is for us, who is against us? In all the victories of the nation of Israel, when led by faithful leaders and faithful people, in every victory, it is... A lesson teaching us the spiritual lesson that Paul says. If God is for us, who is against us? You can't stand and oppose God and win. That doesn't mean that sometimes God's people die. But God ultimately always wins. One way or another. And so God promised victory, first of all, there in verse 8. And they were told in verse 10 that God confounded or God routed the enemy. And so here you've got, the battle begins. The, you know, here's the, uh, the, the class. The conflict in, begins and God is intervening here so that God routes the opposing force. God confounds the opposing force. And so what we need to realize is it was not Joshua's military expertise which brought about this victory. It's not Joshua's military expertise that made this happen. No, God said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give the victory to you. I'm I'm giving them into your hands. And then God says, and then we're told God confounded. God routed the enemy. That is God, the Almighty One, put the enemy to this disorderly flight and, and this overwhelming defeat. And that's kind of what to rout or confound means. To create somewhat of a chaos, and so the enemy is fleeing, and it brings about an overwhelming defeat. And so, did Israel have to fight the enemy? Yes. Of course they did. They still had to do their part. They still had to be faithful and obedient and carrying out the mission that God, even before the entering of the promised land, God says, you're going to go in there and you're going to conquer the land. So yes, there is some fighting 
that the Israelite must engage in. They've got to do their part. But divine grace, divine grace executed the deliverance. Divine grace executed their salvation. By faith, they had to go onto the battlefield. But they had to go with the assurance knowing that God is before them and God is behind them. And with God, who can stand against us? No one, really. No one can stand against us. If God is for us and God is going to give us deliverance, then that deliverance is assured. But faith must still be active. Faith still must obey. Faith still must fight the good fight. Faith must still finish the race. Faith must still keep the one faith. Man still must be obedient and faithful in the relationship to God. But ultimately, it is divine grace and divine mercy and divine love that brings about the ultimate victory and deliverance and salvation of mankind. So in this, confounding them, routing the, uh, the army, there's a couple things, once again, where we see God utilizing, God using the very creation that he brought into being for his purpose. And so the first thing that we're told is that how God rained large hailstones to kill Amorite soldiers. You think about that. Where he says, there is more who died by the hailstones that hit them than by the swords that pierced their bodies. More died by hailstones than by the sword. Now the creator of the universe not only brought the universe into being, but the creator of the universe also sustains the universe. It is by the upholding of the power of his word that the universe still is. And the universe still functions just as God put into being. So yeah, so yeah, the creator made it come to be, but it is the creator that is holding it all together. And so you see in Genesis 1, by his word, he said, let there be light and there was light. You know, let there be a sun and the moon in the, in the firmament and there was a sun and a moon. Let there be fishes in the water, and there were fish. And let there be you know, animals on land, and there were animals. God spoke it and brought it all into being by the power of his word. And it is that same word that sustains us. The reason we are still on earth, walking and breathing, is because God is sustaining you. God is sustaining mankind. Man is not sustaining himself. Do we have responsibilities? Yes. Obligations to be good stewards of the life that we are given? Yes. Yes, there are things that we must do. But ultimately, you don't make yourself and I don't make myself breathe. God holds breath in in his hands. And so by his design and by his command, what we see is water becomes hard like stone. Water becomes hard like stone because God designed creation in such a way that's possible. In the book of Job, in the book of Job, there's some interesting 
words that God is saying to Job near the end of this account that talks about hail. And so you look here in Job 38. Job 38. Listen to what it says in verse 22 and 23. He says, Have you, speaking to Job, this is God, Jehovah, speaking to the man Job, a good man, a blameless man, a man of great faith. He says to this good, faithful man, Job, and he says, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress? And for the day of war and battle. How interesting. You know, Job lived long before the time period of Joshua. And what we find is, here is God in the days of Joshua doing the very thing he challenged Job to understand. You know, have you entered the storehouse of snow and hail? You know, which I have reserved. God, he says, I reserve this for what? I reserve for the time of distress. I reserve it at the time that I can use it in a time of war and battle. And that's exactly what God did there against the Amorite kings. And you look there in, in 28 and following. Has the reign of father or, has, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heaven? Who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone and the surface of the deep is in prison. You think about this idea that the slaughter of the Amorites did not occur simply by the wielding of the sword. Did the Israelites have to carry the sword and go to the battlefield? Yes. They had to fight the good fight. But from the might of the one who commands weather brought the victory. He brought deliverance. He brings salvation. The timing, the size of these hailstones during this battle was not mere chance. Do we know how big they were? No, of course we don't. But they're big enough to kill more soldiers on the battlefield than the sword did. That's a hailstorm. That's a hailstorm. The might of man's sword was essential, but man's might did not deliver. Man's might did not save himself. And that's true for us spiritually. Our might will not deliver us. Our own own might will not save ourselves. But we must obey. And we must walk by faith in accord with God's will and not by sight. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. Just as the arm of Israel and Joshua was delivered from this mighty force of of these kings of the Amorites. The one who can direct a storm. The one who can direct a storm for his purpose. And that's what's going on here. You know, this is not just a mere chance. Oh, there's a thundercloud came over, passed by, and it happened to strike just at the right time, just over the army of, of the Amorites, and not, you know, and not, uh, uh, it didn't hit any of the Israelites at all to kill any of them. Have you thought about that? Only the Amorites died by the hailstorm. The Israelites didn't die by hailstorm. And so the one who commands 
the storm into being and able to direct it is also the same one who can stop the storm. You remember the story of Jesus there in Mark 4. They're out on the Sea of Galilee in the boat and it's a treacherous storm and the apostles are scared. And they, Jesus has been asleep they wake him up. He says, don't you care about us? We're about to die. And what did Jesus do? He just spoke. We should not be surprised by the events of Mark 4 if we understand the events of Joshua 10. The one who spoke and brought weather into being that helps our whole sustaining of life here on planet Earth. And is able to use that weather at a time of distress or war for his purpose. Is the same one who can tell that, sto- that storm to end. And so whether it's hail or whether it's wind or waves. At the command of God, all of nature, all of nature Always, can't emphasize enough, all of nature always obeys God's command. Always. He speaks, and it happens. So what does this imply for us? What does it imply this about you and me and what our response should be to God's word? Blessed by God with free will. That's what we are. Mankind is blessed by God with free will. And man is granted the opportunity and the ability to make a choice. He can choose to obey God or he can choose to disobey. In either case, there's going to be consequences. On the one hand, there's good consequences. On the other hand, there's bad consequences. And so if I choose to disobey, you know... There's going to be bad consequences. Even if it's to my own hurt, God allows me to do this. Nature always does exactly what God says. Man, on the other hand, free will will beings, made in the image of the greater, is allowed the opportunity to make a choice for himself, and God will allow us to make the wrong choice to our own hurt. But if we'll learn from nature, if we learn from the stories of the Old Testament and the stories in the New Testament, factual events from God's viewpoint, if we'll learn from them what we should learn, the purpose of the clay is what? What's the purpose of clay in the potter's hand? What's the purpose of that? The purpose of clay in the potter's hand is to yield. It is to conform to the potter's making in order that we become useful vessels, profitable vessels for the potter. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal of of our lives. We are clay according to God's making 
And our purpose is to yield and conform to the potter's making, the potter's design. And when we disobey, when we go against the purpose that we were created, then we dishonor the potter. We dishonor the creator. And we harm ourselves. And we're... And God is not for us in those moments because we're not on God's side. But if God is for us, who can stand against us? But we've got to be clay that yields. We've got to be clay that conforms. We've got to be men of faith that obey. Do what God says. Whether you're talking about what we must do as a believer to put on Christ and to be cleansed and washed through the power of God's grace. And the obedience that's involved there, repentance and baptism. Or whether you're talking about the way we worship, we need to, what does God say? How should we do that? Well, as clay, as made by the Creator, I should do what God says. Or whether you're talking about our personal life as individuals or in our families, in every scenario, you know, we should listen and do what God says. But there's another part to this story that I think is very practical, and that is the Lord God heeded a faithful man's voice that day. God heard a man that day and answered his request. That simple. Now, God fought for Israel. God fought for his covenant people. And God is the one who delivered them, and God is the one who saved them from their adversaries. God made it happen as Joshua and the army fought by faith to defeat their adversaries with God's help. But that day, as you go back to Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through verse 14, you see that he petitioned God, verse 12, then Joshua spoke to the, spoke to the Lord in the day. That the Lord delivered up the Amorites. He speaks to God. He prays out to God. He petitions God to basically do what? To interrupt that day. To stop time. To interrupt the normal passing of time. And we understand there's a cycle of time that transpires every 24 hours. And it involves the earth's rotation around the sun. And there also, you know, there's the, the whole rotation of the moon as well. All of this is going perfectly in balance like God put into place. And Joshua says, God, I want you to interrupt this cycle. I want you to stop time for a while. Have you ever thought, in your, you know, like yourself, you ever thought that if you had just a little more time on that particular day, that you could have finished that project. You know, if you had enough daylight, you know, I could have finished this. You think, have you ever had that moment? And I'm sure you've had something like that. You know, you just ran out of time. You know, oh, but if I just had more in that day. What God gave Joshua and Israel, more time to finish the task. To finish the job that he set them on to do. Now Joshua here is not asking some selfish request for himself. That is not what's going on here. He's, he, as talked about in James chapter 4, he's talking about asking amiss 
because you want to spend it on your own pleasures. So you have James admonishing Christians about why God's not answering some of their requests, why he's not answering some of their prayers. Well, he is answering. He's saying no to it. Why is that? Well, because you're asking, you know, amiss. You're asking wrongly because God knows the heart. God knows the motive and the intent. He says, you're just wanting to spend it on your own pleasures. That's not what's going on here with Joshua. This is not some selfish request. In harmony with God's will, in harmony with God's plans, the extension of daylight here was so that God's nation may avenge themselves of their enemies. So God, through them, would bring about their victory. Joshua, I think we need to see, it really shows great faith here. Because what you have is you have Joshua's request acknowledges, first of all, we need God. We need God every day. And we need God in our battles. And and his request acknowledges that. They could not succeed against this alliance without God's help. And so this petition recognizes that. On the day that God delivered them, Joshua petitioned. God, he spoke to the Lord on the day that God was giving deliverance. The way it it unfolds, to me at least in the reading, it seems that the hailstones have already, you know, the storm has already happened. You know, at least in, in my reading, it seems to be that way. But also what it says, it's an acknowledgement that Joshua knows that Jehovah, he is the God of of the heavens and the earth. He is the God who can change the course of time. He is the God who has power over the sun and the moon. Well, God said this way back in the days of Job as well. In Job chapter 38 again, you look here in Job chapter 38, look in verse 12 and verse 13. Have you you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you ever done that? No, you haven't. And you can't. But God did. And God does. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? That's what's going on here. God is commanding here. And he is shaking the wicked. You drop down to verse 33. He says, do you, not, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Or fix their rule over the earth? Well, no. Job, Job does not and Job cannot. On this day, the Lord God heeded a faithful man's voice. Joshua is not, is not the only example of that. You have another one that we're told about in James 5. The prophet Elijah. Back in the days of the divided kingdom. In alignment with God's judgments upon Israel. The prophet Elijah asked God to withhold rain on Israel. He asked God to cause a famine to occur in the land. And it, and it lasted for three years, that famine. Here's a prophet of God in, in alignment, in harmony with God's judgment, asked God, God, don't let it rain on Israel. And what did God do? God heeded a man's voice that day. And the whole point of that story, that historical account and reminder in James 5 is for this reason. 
In verse 16, prior to the example, we are told, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What's our proof? Elijah. Joshua. That's our proof. The proof is God heeds a faithful man's voice. And sometimes we'll do extraordinary things. So we need to have a faith like Joshua. Yeah, we need to be cultivating the kind of faith and the kind of prayer like Joshua and like Elijah. What kind is that? Well, I think 1 John 5 illustrates what kind of faith and prayer life that is. When the Apostle John writes in his epistle here, and he says, This is the confidence. This is the confidence. Talk about the confident faith. This is the confidence which we have before him. God our Father, that if we ask anything according to his will. That's what Joshua asked. Joshua petitioned God on that great day according to God's will. That's what Elijah petitioned. On the day he has withhold rain, he was praying and asking God to do this according to his will. And we're saying we can have the same kind of confidence, the same kind of faith, that if we will ask a petition according to his will, not ours, not for our selfish pleasures, not for our selfish achievements. Well, I just want a nice day so I can go on a vacation. No, that's not what this is about. But he says, if we do so, he says, he hears us. And if we know, we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the crest of which we have asked from him. On that day, on the battlefield, under the leadership of Joshua, God utilized creation. God can still do that. Have you thought about that? God can still utilize creation for his purpose, for his plan, and for the benefit and for the well-being of his covenant people. We need to have the faith like Joshua. We need to have the faith like Elijah. Knowing that our God, our Father, our Redeemer is mighty. He is mighty. And there's one dark day at Calvary when God darkened the whole land when his son was dying on a cross. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three of those record this event. He has already been nailed to the cross as atonement, propitiation for all of humanity throughout all time. And then God darkened everything. He says he darkened the whole land and it was at midday. Midday, what does it mean? Sun was at its peak. And he darkened it. This was not some natural phenomenon. This is God's hand at work. God governs the sun. God governs the hail. God governs time. And that darkness lasted for three hours. And we should not be surprised. Let me say, we should be amazed, yes. But we should not be surprised by that. Why is that? 
Do you recall another story? Do you recall another event where God's hand intervened and he darkened a country? In the days of Moses in Egypt, how many days did he darken the land? It says three days he darkened that. And, and it was so dark, it, you, it felt like you could touch it. You could feel the darkness. The closest experience that probably any of us have had is those moments where we've gone down to some cavern and they turn off the lights. And you can't see anything. That is darkness felt. But that's not what transpired in Egypt. And that's not what transpired at Calvary in the land of Palestine in Jerusalem when it says the the land was darkened while Jesus was dying on Calvary's cross. Yes, God upholds the universe. But also God utilizes creation for his purpose, for his will, for his plan, and for his glory. So in conclusion, God is powerful. God cares. And God offered his son to be sinners propitiation to be sinners atonement God did that that's by God's might and if nature itself you think about the the hail and the sun and the moon and what God has done and tells us about if nature itself does exactly what God directs how much more ought we to obey him as well How much more should we surrender our will to him, particularly when he offers to us the only means of salvation and deliverance, and that is through Jesus Christ. On a very dark day, Jesus had to die for you and me. And God says, I offer you victory. I offer you the victory of faith. But you have to believe with all your heart. Not only that God is and a rewarder of those that did seek him, but you have to believe that Jesus is God's son. And yes, he died on Calvary's cross. And in so dying, he died for you personally as well. Your sins and my sins put him on the cross. Our sin put him there. So that justice could be met. And God could be just in offering us mercy and grace through that son. And so you're called this very day to confess that faith with your mouth. That you believe that. You believe Jesus. You believe in him, but you believe Jesus. And you're willing to make a change in life because you want hope. You want deliverance. You want salvation. And only God can give you that. You cannot, by your might... And by your goodness, save yourself. Only God, through Christ, and faith that surrenders to the will of the Almighty, repenting of sin, confessing faith with the mouth, and being baptized into Christ, buried with Him in water, to be raised to walk a new life, to walk 
a life of victory. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to think about God, who he is, and what he's done for you in sending Jesus. We want to encourage you to obey him today. If you are a Christian, but maybe there is sin in your life that you need to correct. If we can assist you spiritually in that, we invite you as well. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, we invite you to encourage. Please come now while we stand and sing the psalm that's been selected.